What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus uh, coming at you from <laughs> quarantine or like social distancing, I should say. I am Money, the newly minted doctor. Yes, that's right, y'all. A bitch got a PhD. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll talk more about that uh, later on in the episode. But um, Nikita's not here. Um between like everything going on with the pandemic and work, uh, we just like couldn't work out like a time to record. But I didn't want to leave everybody without an episode, especially right now when a lot of folks are like indoors or like dealing with the effects of COVID-19. So um, I just wanted to come through and give y'all just like a short but sweet uh, solo episode again, returning to my roots as a solo podcaster. So yeah, hey y'all, let's get into it. I'm gonna drop the intro. Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type of darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love. Hey. All right, so just as a reminder of where you can find Queer Walk, the podcast, I'm looking forward to being a lot more active uh, on the social media streets because I no longer have a uh, dissertation hanging over my head, y'all, like I'm whole ass done. So um, I will be out here. I'm most active, I would say, on um, Instagram. So really excited to be uh, over there more. You can find us at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. And it's the same handle on Twitter, at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Queer Walk Pod. Tumblr, where it all began, at queerwalk.com. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, and all the other platforms that are so big they don't need plugs. So here is where I would usually um, tell you the ways you can contribute to Queer Walk. But just because of everything that's happening right now, um, I'm actually going to encourage y'all, like if you have contributed monetarily to us, I totally understand that a lot of people are, uh, a lot of folks in our community are worried about how they're going to pay rent or what it's going to look like if they can't go to work the next four weeks. So right now, the ways you can contribute to Queer Walk is to actually contribute to a queer and trans person of color you know. So um, I've been trying to just send $10 here and there to folks. I know $10 doesn't go a long way in our society, but hey, it's lunch, you know, just to try to help folks out 
Um, and right now when everybody's stocking up on non-perishables, woo, $10 can get you a lot of canned goods. <laughs> um, yeah, so a way that you can contribute right now to Queer Walk is to actually helping out a Queer Walk um, or a Queer Pock that you know. Just checking on them, making sure they're good, that they have food, um, water, a place to stay for the night. You know, um, folks need those uh, material things to be safe right now. Um, a way that you can support the podcast is continue to do the R's and love us out loud. We haven't had a um, a review, like a written review on the Apple app in a long time. So if anybody wants to come through and give us our first review of 2020 on the Apple app, that would be so greatly appreciated. SoundCloud is pretty quiet too, even though I know a lot of people listen on SoundCloud because I can see where y'all listen um, in the SoundCloud analytics. So yeah, just leave us a comment uh, or, you know, a GIF, a meme, whatever, when you get a chance. You can rate the episodes, hit the stars, the hearts, the thumbs up, whatever your platform that you listen on um, gives. You can repost the episodes when you're listening, put us in your story, retweet, and reply. You can also use the hashtag QueerWalk or hashtag QueerWalkPod to talk all things the podcast. Last but of course not least, the most intimate and no um, character count way that you can contact us is by sending us an email to submit your Curve Chronicles, your suggestions for topics, your suggestions for Queer Walks or Queer Pock of the Week, or to invite us to your things, um, which is probably going to be on freeze for a little while, um, at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. So again, you can reach us uh, for all things uh, more specific or to request a topic, a uh, Queer Walk of the Week, a Curve Chronicle at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. All right, y'all. I'm going to move it on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week segment. So um, Queer Walk of the Week this week is uh, Afro-Brazilian filmmaker, activist, and producer Ethel Oliveira. So, um, this is kind of like a, a queer walk of the week within a queer walk of the week because, uh, the, because the reason why, um, I wanted to make, uh, Ethel queer walk of the week is because she's, uh, doing a documentary on the life and activism of Mariela Franco, who a lot of folks may know also Afro-Brazilian lesbian activist, who was murdered two years ago and the anniversary of her assassination uh, was three days ago as I'm recording this. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I think that her murder, her death, like really rippled throughout queer women communities. Um, It hit, it hit a lot of folks hard and it's just so important that we keep not only her loss um, present for ourselves, but, the work that she was doing and um, like why she was such a badass and so important. Ethel Oliveira is doing that. So I just want to tell us a little bit about Ethel for um, those who might not know about what she's doing. Um, and, and so kind of talk about what she's doing to keep the memory of Mariella Franco presente. So... This is coming from Black Women Radicals again. Uh, like I said, if y'all not following Black Women Radicals, you should definitely follow them. I I just learned so much about what other 
uh, black queer women in other parts of the world are doing from from them. And I also learned a lot about like uh, Marxism and <laughs> like black women who are anti-capitalist from that page. I mean, just from following the Instagram. So like that's not even, you know, the other work that they do. So shout out to black women radicals. So Afro-Brazilian filmmaker, activist and producer Ethel Oliveira is on a mission to ensure that the life of Mariela Franco is um, always present and um, that the resistance and resiliency that she galvanized for black people in Brazil is documented. She started this documentary on the life of Mariela before she actually passed away um, and was assassinated. Um, just telling her like, oh, girl, we need to make a movie about your life. Um, and now has like really um, set out to do that um, in the wake of losing her way too soon. She was super young, y'all. And uh, a quote from Ethel is, uh, we need to memorialize Mariella because she was a transnational figure who fought against racism for the rights of black women, for lesbians and for intersectional rights. She said that um, despite the like chronic whitewashing that happens with Brazil, she wants people to know that the um, black activism and black communities have been in Brazil and they're here to stay and that their resistance uh, to the, you know, hetero patriarchal capitalist regime of Brazil is not going anywhere. And the way that she wants to do that is through talking about the life of Marielle Franco, who... In, in recent times has been like a, a transnational symbol for that resistance in Brazil. So Oliviera um, has done documentaries before this one on Mariela Franco, and they all center um, black history of Brazil, black resistance specifically in Brazil to the whitewashing that happens, the erasure that Afro-Brazilians experience, um, the experiences of um, Afro-Brazilian lesbians, And she uh, co-directed in 2019 Seeds, which is a documentary that showcases um, the campaign of six black women who decided to run for office in um, in Brazil. And the documentary that she's working on about um, Mariela's life uh, specifically is Mariela's Legacy Will Not Die. And it is um, in partnership with a Ph.D. student at NYU, NYU's um, School of Film and Arts. The documentary isn't like specifically in response to, but it it's kind of also coming at a time where um, Oliviera and other Afro-Brazilian filmmakers um, and then like other Afro-Brazilians in media wrote a letter like blocking this kind of like fictionalized version of Franco's life. That was supposed to be pro- uh, produced and directed by white Brazilians and like put on TV. And they were like, absolutely not. Like Marielle was ours. We will tell her story. Like, you know, you all, <laughs> you all have you have the audacity that, um, you know, this, this black queer woman gets assassinated and like none of you sort of like show up to the movements that she had been um, advocating for in her life. And now you show up to tell her a fictionalized version of her story and her death. Absolutely not. So they drafted a letter and ended up successfully blocking that like fictionalized series of Franco's life. 
And um, so that's why it's so important for this documentary to be out there because it's coming from other queer Afro-Brazilian women. Um, And they organized to get this like bullshit fictionalized version by white Brazilians um, blocked from media. And that's just also frustrating because her life was not fictional, right? Like the things that she did for Afro-Brazilians and for like black queer women globally um, were real, very real. And that's such an important part of keeping her legacy alive. Um, so I just wanted to make Ethel Oliveira Queer Walk of the Week because, I mean, it just like ties into the work that I hope that I'm doing with my life is to tell our stories like for ourselves and in and, and authentic ways, but all, like also in celebratory ways that we don't just become important as queer women of color in our deaths. Right. Like we we our work that we did before we died is also important and should be named. So shout out to Ethel Oliveira, um, who's also super young. She's like 42 or 43 years old. So I am saying your name like in this moment and highlighting your work. And I can't wait to see this documentary. I hope it's not super hard. So shout out to your work and Mariela Franco Presente. All right, y'all. I'm going to move it on along to community contributors. Yeah. Um, because we still don't have a jingle for that segment. If this is your like first time listening to Queer Walk, the community contributors segment is just a segment where we highlight, uplift, and shout out everybody who makes uh, this podcast possible because it is a struggle to podcast independently. Um, podcasting takes a lot of like time. A lot of time. (laughs) Uh, It's not free. Uh, I would love for us to have, you know, um, like more reliable and secure, I guess, recording um, equipment and devices and all those things. So to get this out to y'all, all these people that we shout out in the community contributor segment makes it possible. So, first, I want to shout out the new patrons who came through and became sustainers of this here program. Um, So, shout out to Allie, Kai, and Monique's. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Monique's. For becoming new patrons. And, again, I'm saying, like, I know right now that money... Uh, like, you know, actual cash money is <laughs> not me. Um, Money is like tight right now. So if you need to edit your pledge or pause your Patreon pledge, I totally respect it and understand it. Get back to us when you can or like contribute in other ways that don't cost anything like reposting us or telling a friend about us or um, putting the link to the episode in the group chat. Those are all ways that you can contribute too. All right, so in our in our borders are fake uh, shout outs um, because these are not small towns. It just this is just the part of the episode where I show how little I know about geography and how much borders are a social construct and fuck them. Um, so the three places that um, we're gonna shout out this episode that are in our top twenty listened cities uh, are Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so wild to think that people in Hawaii are listening to me. Me. Up in Syracuse, New York. 
So shout out to Honolulu. Pitt Meadows, Canada. Pitt Meadows, Canada. What is that? Pitt Meadows is a city in southwestern British Columbia. That did not help Google. Oh, it's like outside of Vancouver. Okay. So not on my side of Canada. <laughs> the other side. Okay. Because we're really close um, to the Canadian border up here in Syracuse. But I think Vancouver is on the other side, like the West Coast. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Geography is made up. Oh, y'all, I was right. Vancouver is the West Coast of Canada. All right. So <laughs> shout out to Pitt Meadows holding down, holding it down on the West Coast of Canada and listening to Queer Walk. Um, and last but not least, a huge shout out to Cary, North Carolina. Um, so, you know, I, I just love North Carolina. I often think about moving there after my time in Syracuse is done. So I'm really happy to know that there is community in Cary. So shout out to Cary, North Carolina. It's time for that black feminist healing. This, that real shit that make believe. Come on, money, please help me get my shit together. I listen to the moment when times get rough. Put all my headphones, turn it all the way up. Who's gonna give you grounding tips? There's nobody better. Oh, money, help me get my shit together. <laughs> I can't sleep at night. <laughs> When you all on my mind, Bobby Womack on the radio, singing to me if you think you're lonely now. Wait, wait a, a minute. minute. All right, y'all. So I'm going to move it on along to the mental moment with money. Um, and I thought I would just insert that because that was one of my favorite jingles that Nikita did for this segment. Um, and I think it was one of her best. That was like some of her best work. Uh, and we haven't had a jingle in a while. But, you know, we'll let her off the hook because, you know, there's a... a a lot going on in the world right now, and her work schedule is wild, like out of control. So, um, yeah. So, I'm going to get on into the mental moment. Uh, this segment of Queer Walk is just where me, <laughs> Dr. Money, <laughs> Mac Eatern, um, just gives like, uh, I give like tips, suggestions, help with things related to our mental wellness and mental well-being. And so, yeah, this one is going to be no different. I just want to obviously talk about what's going on right now with Big Rona um, and social distancing. <laughs> so uh, for this mental moment, I'm going to give uh, some like social connectedness uh, help during social distancing. Um, basically, don't let Rona ruin your relationships. <laughs> Social distancing does not have to mean social isolation, right? And I've I've been really worried about this with um the more and more people are sort of like going internal. I first of all for myself because I know I'm a person that does well with people. Like being by myself is uh not good for me. <laughs> it's it's exhausting. Like all I want to do is like sleep and get nothing done. And it, it has a huge impact on my mood. Um, I'm not a person who can spend long times in isolation. I like to say that I'm like the extrovert of extroverts. Like I get 
energy and everything else from being around and with people. So this was mostly a mental moment for myself, but I hope it helps y'all too. You know, I was perusing some uh, mental health uh, stuff around this because I've seen a lot of people talking about physical well-being, obviously, because there's like a global pandemic happening right now. But not a lot of folks have been talking about the impact this is going to have on mental health and mental well-being. So I was just looking at um, this um, like meta-analysis, which is a meta-analysis is where like you look at an analysis that other people have done. It's like a lit review, but of research, if that makes sense. Like somebody, you look at all these research studies that other people have done, and then you conduct your own research based on their research. That's what a meta-analysis is. Um, But it was done by this other marriage and family therapist, Dr. Holt Lunston. I hope I'm saying her name right. And she looked at basically the impacts of um, social uh, disconnection, on our health, right? Um, And because this time everybody is worried about like health um, and we're social distancing, I thought this was like a really good study to look at. And so what she actually found is that lack of social connection um, heightens health risks about as much as smoking 15 cigarettes in a day. Yeah, that's (laughs) it's a lot, right? And especially right now when we're thinking about like respiratory health and like lung, cough, all that stuff. Um, Like we don't want to be heightening risks around um, things that can impact us as much as smoking at all. Another little like tidbit like of a comparison she did was that like social disconnection or experiencing um, like loneliness for long periods of time uh, had like people scored similarly on anxiety and depression um, scales as folks who had active alcohol use disorders. So basically what that means is like people who reported feeling lonely or socially disconnected scored the same as people who had active alcohol use disorders. So that tells you right there, um, when we say community, like as a, as a preventative factor, it is so real. Um, just to like, we are social beings. Like we need To feel um, like loved, missed, (laughs) acknowledged, connected, right? And I don't want us to be losing that while we're socially distancing. Just like as an aside, also, you know, because, you know, I'll be reading a family therapy magazine because they be having some really good little um, articles in there. Um, Loneliness has twice as many harmful uh, impacts on our physical health as this you know, epidemic that they call obesity, right? So take that, you body shaming bitches. <laughs> um, actually, loneliness has more of an impact on our, um, like, physical and mental health than obesity. And I just, you know, I feel like, well, okay, well, where are the TLC shows about loneliness? Because we got so many about, like, people who are dealing with, like, uh, morbid obesity, as the health industry calls it, you know? So what about morbid isolation, morbid loneliness? Twice as impactful. And that's not me. That's um, the American Psychological Association of Sciences, you know? So take it up with them. Uh, The ink ain't even dry on my PhD yet, so... (laughs) All right, but um, so I know that those statistics sound really like grim. I'm gonna put 
a link to the studies that I referenced, but also to more information on social distancing. Because I think there's a little bit of um, like an oversimplification or like maybe even like an extreme idea of what social distancing looks like that might be getting conflated with social isolation or even quarantine, right? Like, <laughs> like quarantine is not the same as social distancing. Quarantine means you have been exposed to or you act, like actively have um, a very contagious um, disease. And so you're in like a a contained space with either others or others who have that or nobody for whatever the extended amount of time is until you're no longer contagious. That's not the same as social distancing. Social distancing is, you can think of it as a community care practice, right? Mia Mingus has actually been posting a lot about um, like how to keep community well. And so if y'all want to look at Mia Mingus's Instagram, I'll put her at in the description of this episode. She's been posting a lot about like what social distancing actually looks like and how... It is a community care practice. So even though you might be feeling good, that don't mean that you need to go flouncing and bouncing around um, all up in other people's faces because you could be a carrier and you can get other people um, sick in that way. So just because you want to risk doesn't mean that you should put other people at risk, right? It's the same reason why we vaccinate community health. Okay, and this is my last thing, and then I'm gonna get into my um <laughs> my suggestions. I was because, uh, like I told y'all, this was kind of a mental moment for myself as well. But like, stress and panic are not good for our immune systems, y'all. Stress and panic like act like really harmful immunosuppressants, <laughs> and so what that means, like you um sometimes when people get like uh. Like organ transplants, you have to take like an immunosuppressant so your immune system doesn't respond in the way that it usually does. So it won't reject the organ, right? So it's just like, chill out, immune system. We don't need you right now. Um, Like your immune system be like, (laughs) you know, ready to go. And the immunosuppressants be like, chill, chill, chill. Stress and panic act in in similar ways to immunosuppressants, like the, the hormones, stress hormones, Um, When our body is in a panic state, our immune system is not considered an essential system, right? Our respiratory system is, our circulatory system is. So our body kind of just tells our immune system to chill out when we're stressed and panicked. This is not what we, (laughs) we do not need our uh, immune systems to be chilling out right now. We need them to be on go, ready, right? So... The best way to do that is to keep our stress, anxiety, and panic levels low so that our immune systems are working at their peak capacity to fight off all the things that we come in contact with. So yeah, so with all those things in mind, the like isolation, social isolation impacts on mental health and physical health, the impacts that stress and panic have on our health, I have some peas for the pandemic. Um, so here are, I have five P's for the pandemic. <laughs> y'all, <laughs> I, this, is, this is like a double me because this is a list and it's uh, alliterative. So here we go. I have five P's for the pandemic. To help us stay socially connected while we're socially distancing. So my first P for the pandemic is to pick up the phone. Um, as y'all know, I'm a therapist and 
my practice that I work at has moved to teletherapy, which basically means that we're doing phone sessions or um, like video sessions in order to support folks who still, you know, need um, therapy sessions during this time, but to keep everybody like safe during this pandemic. And um, the university has also done that with like their mental health services and like doing phone check-ins and stuff. But this is not just, you know, with mental health professionals, like a phone call is so impactful just to hear your phone ring in 2020, like, and it's not a bill collector just (laughs) or your student loans telling you that you need to make a payment. Like, it's just such a huge thing. Um, I think about like some of my favorite moments with my sisters, because, you know, we've lived far apart for a really long time is when we call each other and we end up talking for hours. Like, I love those phone calls. And they they do make me feel close and connected. So my first P for the pandemic is to pick up the phone. Who Make that phone call to that person that you've been missing or that you haven't caught up with in a long time. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, time flies by so quickly, you really don't realize how long it's been since you've checked in with somebody. Um, like me and my ace, like we, when we catch up on the phone, I'm like, damn, it's really been like six months. It's really been three months. It's really been a year since we've actually talked on the phone and heard each other's voices responding in real time. So make sure you're doing that. My second P for the pandemic is to plan video dates with homies. Um, so I have a whole list of like ways you can do video dates, right? So the first thing is that you can just do nothing on a video platform with someone just like you live in your life. They live in their life, but there's that like feeling of having somebody there. Um, I was talking to one of my friends earlier on the phone and they were talking about having like work dates where they're, you know, writing and I'm studying for my licensure exam. And so, no, we wouldn't be interacting, but it would, since all the libraries are closed, it would kind of be like we're at the library, like sitting across from the table uh, with each other, but just doing work, like parallel play, you know, like kids. So, yeah, doing nothing on video. You could read the same article, book chapter, or whole book, and then discuss it with somebody on video. That could be a video date. You can listen to the same song or like co-create a playlist. I saw this playlist going around um, the the coronavirus playlist. And it was like the first song was Wipe Me Down. (laughs) I love it. Um, uh, Or that new banger that that DJ made with uh, (laughs) Cardi B's voice. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Um, Yeah, so you could listen to the same song or co-create a playlist with each other uh, as a video date. Or um, my friend Ben posted this on Facebook. Uh, his his status was like, does anybody want to make an asynchronous like, uh, rock band together uh, via, you know, like the internet? That, that was just like really funny to me. So yeah, if you want to join Ben's band or make your own band... <laughs> Um, you could work out together. 
there's a lot of like those uh like video platforms that a lot um I saw a post or maybe somebody sent this. Oh, I think somebody sent it to me as an email that some of those um like video things that you have to like sign up for a subscription for to work out like hit down dog, all those yoga ones, they're actually going to be free until April 1st. So this would be a perfect time to do like a video workout um, thing with a friend. Clean together is another suggestion for planning a video date. Like I got to clean my kitchen, you got to clean your kitchen and we just getting it in together. I got this idea because I actually did this with someone over the weekend. It's like we were on a video call. I was doing dishes. They were fixing up their bathroom. So (laughs) it was cute. Uh, watch a movie together. Um, and so I wanted to suggest, um, some of these apps that, that makes this really easy to do. Um, and maybe y'all have heard of these, maybe I'm really late, but, uh, ShareTube is a, a website where you can watch YouTube videos together with someone. And it's like a chat room on the side where you could talk about the video you're watching. This So a similar idea, if you use Google Chrome, is Netflix Party. So Netflix Party is a Google Chrome extension. It's like an add-in, um, and it goes like a little button right on your um, Chrome bar. And so whenever you're watching Netflix, you can turn on Netflix Party, and it literally looks like uh, the throwback chat rooms where you have a username, the other person who is also watching, who you have given like your party information, your Netflix party information. They have a username and y'all just are chatting while watching. I'm, I'm really excited to try this out. I've never done it with anyone, but I do have the extension. Uh, this feels like the perfect time to have a Netflix party. So, yeah, if you use Google Chrome, check out Netflix Party. It's free. It's literally just an extension that you um, add to your um, browser. And then there's this app called And Chill. It's the ampersand and then chill. And you download it to your computer and you can watch anything on it. And it does the same thing that ShareTube or Netflix Party does. Like you can even, I think there's a way that you can even like share screens or see each other through like the, your webcams. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like a, a virtual way of and chilling together. <laughs> and the plugin is called and chill. I'll put all this in the description to the episode too. Um, other ways that you can do video dates are through um, mobile apps. So WhatsApp because I use WhatsApp uh, video call a lot because I don't have an iPhone. So people will video call me on WhatsApp. Marco Polo is one of my favorite apps me and my sisters use. I use it the most with them. Um, It's like a video walkie-talkie, basically. So they send me videos. I'll send them videos. You can watch them in, in live, real time. You can add, like, stickers and text to your videos. It's really cute. I love Marco Polo. So if you don't want to do like a long thing, you can just use WhatsApp and Marco Polo. I also love WhatsApp because you can send the voice messages. Those are cute too. So my third P for the pandemic is to practice those self-love languages that I talked about on the last episode of Queer Walk. And if you um, didn't listen to the last episode, episode 81, Bliggity Black and Queer, I talked about the ways that we could translate those relational love languages, like the love languages that are pretty like popularly going around into self-love languages and how we are intentional in the ways that we love ourselves 
this is a perfect time to do that. Especially if you're someone who's social distancing by my by myself. Like I live by myself. I have cats, <laughs> you know, but it's just me in this house. This is like a perfect time to really get into how I love myself and show up for myself, like the relationship I have with myself. So my suggestions for those, you can go listen to um, on the last episode. I'll just give a quick rundown of them right now, but I'll post like the information for the last episode and the timestamp and everything for my mental moment from the last episode. But um, explore your self-love language uh, to yourself. How do you show love to yourself? Do you feel self-love? Do you... Practice self-love by being present with yourself. Do you absorb self-love by giving things to yourself? Do you do self-love? Or do you think self-love through like affirmations and things? This is such a great time to lean into your relationship with yourself. My fourth P for the pandemic is to prepare for mental health check-ins. This does not have to look like having a therapist. Um, I want to stress that because I also think about like, what if I get sick, you know? And then I have like these these 20 people who need to find other social supports for checking in with themselves around mental health, you know? And I, you know, even with my own therapist, I'm like, oh, what if, <laughs> what if sis gets sick? Who am I going to have, you know? So I I don't mean to prepare for mental health check-ins by you need to sign up for like one of the teletherapy um, companies or try to have like distant sessions with your therapist. I mean, absolutely do that if it's an option for you and if your therapist is offering it. Like I'm offering it because, you know, I'm basically like a per diem worker. If I don't have sessions, I don't get paid. So if if that's accessible to you, and you find it helpful, definitely do that. But more so, I'm thinking about, do you have anybody you could talk to about anxiety? Do you have anybody you can talk to about your thoughts about, like, death? When the whole world is freaking out about um, health issues, like, who do you have to talk to? Or is everybody in your circle ableist garbage, you know? <laughs> you know, but, but like, really, as we work to... Um, ensure our like physical safety and well-being we also need those people in our lives that will be like who know the signs of what it looks like when maybe our mental health is not that good so prepare for that you should prepare that you're gonna get worried or anxious at some point in time you should prepare that you might get a little down at some point in time it's totally it's a normal response like we are going through something that is very, like, shouldn't be happening, right? So just having somebody to process these, like, very normal responses to this very abnormal thing that's happening, like, we shouldn't be expecting to go through life as usual when we're when we're literally not, not. Everything has been disrupted. So who do you have to check in with around not just physical health, but mental health? All right, and... Last but not least, my final P for the pandemic is to put stuff in your to watch queue. All the things, I am so ready to watch all the things that I have not been watching because I've been like trying to prepare for my defense or because I always got to run do something. I literally don't got nothing to go run and do now. All the uh, restaurants are closed. 
All the grocery stores are closed. School is shut down. At work is shut down. I have no place to be but in my living room. So I am really excited to get into something that has eight or more seasons. If y'all have suggestions for stuff I need to put in my watch queue, please throw it in the hashtag QueerWalk. Would love, would love to watch um, some new stuff. Like I said, I'm willing to commit to eight or more seasons. So yeah. Or if it's like, not that many seasons, but there's a lot of episodes in the season. I'm also, I'm down. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm high committal. I'm, <laughs> I'm down to commit to a show right now. So yeah, just to run through my P's for the pandemic. First P, pick up the phone. Second P, plan video dates with homies. Third P, practice those self-love languages. Fourth P, prepare for mental health check-ins. Fifth P, put stuff in your to watch queue. Yeah, so I hope those help. And again, social distancing does not have to mean social isolation. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself and the folks in your community. You know, like we don't cut off community just because a pandemic is out here wilding. And if I'm being like totally honest, part of um, like putting out the solo episode too is because I realized how much the podcast is a part of my social connectedness. Um, I know in real time, like we don't talk back to each other, but just like the engagement from the podcast, knowing that people are out there somewhere and maybe the little bit of things that I've learned along the way as a therapist help folks in hard times just makes me feel connected. Um, Even if it's not live, like in real time. And so I truly, truly do appreciate y'all and y'all are definitely a part of my mental wellness um, check-ins with myself and my like practices of community care. So shout out to y'all. All right. So here is usually where we would move it on along to the word um, segment with Nikita, or like I like to call it, our lesbian luminary labor lecturer, Nikita. And this would just be the segment where she breaks down some social justice jargon or like something that's happening in the world that we should know about as queer folks of color. Um, And, you know, she's on the rig right now, has other stuff going on. So we don't have a word from Nikita, but I would like to give some Nikita-esque inspired um, things right now, <laughs> some tidbits. I just wanted to say, I was listening to Ghost of a Shell's podcast with Jessica Langato, and she um, had mentioned that like when public fear is high, like um, conservatives or like, you know, radical conservatives often like use this time to push agendas in um, governments that we typically wouldn't agree to. But because like fear and panic and um, individualism is so high in these moments that folks would ag- uh, folks sign on to things they wouldn't they usually would be like, nah, that's wild. So um, my advice is to like stay vigilant just like check in to see what representatives, um, government officials and agencies are doing and what they're not doing. I was talking to my friend Makta about this. Like the hopeful thing about this moment is like this has completely exposed how our systems don't fucking work for us. Like um, 
all these academic conferences that have been canceled, but they are trying to do like webcasts or like seminars online. I'm like, how come this hasn't always been an accessible option for people? So the thing that feels hopeful is like world change is possible after the pandemic, (laughs) you know, like how has this exposed the ways that systems aren't working for us? Um, I was thinking about the K through 12 schools and how they're like, oh, we're moving everything to like Google Classroom or like online school. But so many kids don't have like um, Internet at home and rely on the public libraries, which are also closed and that barely have computer terminals anymore. Schools around here, at least, are like sending home Chromebooks with kids who don't have um, like computers at home are like paying for like file sticks and stuff like that. So people have temporary uh, uh, internet access. And like, these are all communal things that we could been doing. You know, like I know this one restaurant had a sign up near my house that was like, um, we're closed, but the Wi-Fi is still on, you know? So it's like making sure that the kids around here who are being sent home with like internet work have access to the internet. Like, these are things that we could be doing all the time to take care of each other. So, yeah, that's just, now is the time. Like, this is really going to show, like, who do you want to be after a pandemic or during a pandemic, right? Like, it's easy to have radical politics when, like, you're comfortable and your material conditions are not, like, like in this scarcity mindset. Now is the time to be like, who you who you going to be when the shit is hot? Right. Like, do you truly believe that your community will provide? I believe it. My mom is so funny. She called me and she was like, all your friends, you know, all y'all trustworthy people. Y'all get together at somebody's house and just like split up your goods. Like somebody got the aluminum foil. Somebody got the tissue. (laughs) Somebody got the tuna and just split it up. You know, it's like we can do that. We can um, watch out for each other and make sure that everybody is provided for. And to also stay vigilant on these like far-reaching um things like like this is the time this is the time to be calling for like global health care in this country or like global child care in this country you know like these we have the resources to fucking do it um and so to just keep our eye out for ways that these things can be possible now and i just wanted to like highlight three more things about like this like looking out for each other communal care thing So one, again, like if y'all need support and feel comfortable, just like I'm going to I'm going to make a post, obviously, about this episode. Just comment like your Venmo or your cash app name, even if it's like five or ten dollars that adds up, because I mean, small donations got my mama and my sister at my defense. So um, those little amounts add up. If you get $50, that's a, that's like a, that could be a week's worth of groceries, depending on, you know, where you live. But, um, yeah, so that's one thing that I definitely want to make sure that we're all, like, sharing resources. And if I have an extra 10 bucks, I can slide it to somebody who needs it more than I do at the moment. You know, I'm fortunate that I have a job that I can do remotely. I'm fortunate... Uh, that I have Wi-Fi and internet access. So if somebody need them $10, $20 more than I do, drop your Cash App or your Venmo um, on the post to this episode. And let's try to show up for each other as a community. Also, BYP100 um, and Decriminalize New York uh, teamed up and they have this um, like COVID-19 
NYC Black Folks Mutual Aid Fund. Um, I'm going to, I know I posted it in our story, but I'm going to post the donation link um, and the link to request aid from the New York City Black Folk Mutual Aid Fund in the description to this episode. So if you are a black folk, <laughs> a black person who needs aid or who wants to donate, um, you don't, you don't have to identify as black to donate. Please, everybody donate. But specifically, um, they're making sure that like black folks have what they need during this time that so many of us have like unstable, like working conditions right now. I think it was like 60% of the population would, would not be able to survive without eight weeks of um, of a paycheck, right? So it's like, first of all, we need to eat the rich. And, say, <laughs> and second of all, after we do that, we need to um, be like helping each other out and like sustaining each other. So if, if you have it to give or if you need it, um, I'll post those links in the description to this episode. Um, and then lastly... Uh, I really hope that my homie doesn't kill me for this, but I I think it's important. And I, I so I wanted to share it with y'all. I know that these resources are like really regional because I'm in New York. So most of the resources I know are in New York. Um, so if y'all know of pools of money that people can access outside of New York for this hard time right now, please shoot them my way so that I can share it with folks. Um, but yeah, so my homie, Vani, who is a badass educator, um, baddie, and just all around um, radical woman of color, she is a part of a collective of educators, artists, scientists, and activists who are organizing the Northwest Bronx Dry Food Distribution. And they want it to happen on Saturday, March 28th from 3 to 5. And it's going to be on um, Jerome Avenue. And so they're taking um, $10 contributions to help get supplies for um, the dry food that they want to distribute. Um, and so if you would like to donate to help folks in the North Bronx have non-perishable goods, um, the donation, you can use Venmo at A-R-I-A-N-E hyphen K-A-N-N-A-N. So again, her Venmo is A-R-I-A-N-E hyphen K-A-N-N-A-N. I'll post it in the description. Um, but yeah, it's just a $10 donation to help people in the Bronx come through. Going to be like, you know, outside still practicing all the social distancing things, sanitizing and everything. But to give get people things like rice, beans, um, you know, seasoning, vegetables, um, anything that can be canned so that people can get, you know, over this bump. It's kind of like supporting your local food bank, basically. Um, so, yeah, those are the three things that I would suggest. All right, y'all. So I'm going to move it on along to our topic segment. And the topic segment of Queer Walk is where we just talk about everything that doesn't fit into our other segments. Um, and so today I just wanted to... I guess kind of like process out loud about finishing my PhD, which I did. So y'all, so I defended and I live streamed it on Queer Walk's Instagram page. So I just want to thank you all who tuned in like that. I think that was definitely the most viewed uh, live stream we've ever had on Queer Walk. And it just means so much to me that y'all took time out of y'all days to um, watch me defend my dissertation. Um, so just 
What is a defense? I, I kind of want to talk about that. Um, I was realizing going into it how much how much I hadn't really talked to my mom or my sisters about what the process of a defense was. Um, and as a first generation college student, PhD, um, you just get used to the loneliness of a PhD and don't like talk to people about it. Um, and so I want to stop doing that, you know, um, and tell y'all about it. A dissertation defense is supposed to be an oral examination where they take the dissertation that you've written um, and this panel of six, sometimes it's more depending on the committee or the university requirements. This panel of six faculty basically they just <laughs> they just like fire at you rapid fire questions about your work why you chose to do certain things, um, other perspectives that might be specific to their, uh, like, expertise in their fields or whatever. So, yeah, it's not a pleasant thing, right? I did not want a defense that was like that. I did not want a defense that felt like me locked in a room with six professors who get to, like, wild out and ask me... (laughs) All these like really terrifying, horrific questions because I did a dissertation that was a community dissertation. I I wrote about the experiences of queer women of color couples who were engaged in like movements for liberation. And so I didn't I didn't just do that because like let me pontificate on queer work couples. No, I did it because I truly believe in the power of like our work to transform Right. And so I wanted my my defense to be that, too. Like, I wanted people to kind of see my defense and be like, oh, shit, maybe I could get a Ph.D. or to see my defense and maybe like heal some of the trauma that they went through at their own defense, because I've seen traumatic ass defenses, y'all, <laughs> y'all. So I didn't want to do that. And um, so part of live streaming, it was that, you know, it's like, I want this to be open defense defenses at Syracuse University are open to the public. So I wanted it to be open, open, bitch. like, <laughs> like completely open. And the process of it is you come in to the room. Um, everybody on the committee has had uh, two weeks or more. So, so like my core committee has had like basically six months um, to read my dissertation, all six chapters. You come in, the chair introduces you, introduces the committee. Then they send everybody out of the room. They deliberate really quickly on whether or not anybody has any reservations about the defense happening. Um, and then if they say like, yeah, actually, I don't think she ready. Like this, this dissertation isn't PhD worthy. Then the defense actually doesn't happen. That's really rare. Like most of the time, if you get to the defense, your advisor has already gone back and forth with you enough for you to be ready. Right. Um, and so then after they do that brief deliberation, they call everybody back in, you get to take your seat. And do your opening remarks, basically. You have 15 minutes, 15 minutes to talk through your entire dissertation. Like, um, it's kind of wild. Because it's like, I spent two years writing this book. And (laughs) y'all gave me 15 minutes to talk about it. Then each of them technically gets 15 minutes to ask you questions, right? Um, And if you have, like, a dope-ass chair, which I had a dope-ass chair, Love Dr. Marcel Haddix. 
they cut them off when their time is up, right? So they need to come. Basically, that's so that they come in prepared with their questions and they don't just ask you wild shit on the spot, even though people do ask wild shit on the spot. Um, So each of them get 15 minutes. That's like an hour and a half right there of them asking questions and you responding. Then they send everybody back out of the room, um, including you, and they deliberate. They deliberate on whether you fail your defense. If you fail your defense, you don't pass go. You don't collect $200. You're not a doctor. Um, you, you It means that you have like some serious work to do still on your dissertation, right? So that's one outcome of their deliberation. You can pass with major revisions, which means that you passed. You did what you needed to do. You met the requirements of like a, a dissertation, but you still have a lot of work to do for it to be like publishable, basically. Because when you turn your PhD dissertation into the grad school, it's like published essentially through like the university library. So pass with major revisions means you passed, but it's still a lot you got to do before you turn it into the grad school. And that means that the whole committee has to agree again. They got they basically deliberate again if you pass with major revisions. You can pass with minor revisions, which means, girl, you good. Like most people pass with minor revisions, right? It's just like, okay, just like tweak this here, this chapter, you got to say more about this, blah, 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 you know? So it's like, you're good. That's that's like typically gold standard of passing a dissertation defense is to pass with minor revisions. You can pass with no revisions, which is like unheard of, right? <laughs> this is funny because... In in my pseudo word segment, I talked about my friend Vani, who's the only person that I know who passed with no revisions. Um, <laughs> her de- her defense was also incredible, but it just means you have like nothing to do, no more, <laughs> no more to add. No, um, you can turn it into the grad school ish immediately, and then you, there's pass with distinction, which means that you not only did all of the requirements to pass your dissertation defense but that you did above and beyond what you need to do. It's basically like passing your defense with honors, right? So I go in this day thinking I'm going to pass with minor revisions. Like, that's it. Because I found, like, typos and stuff in my documents. So I already knew I had to revise some stuff. What I didn't know is that typos are, like, a guarantee. I mean, you write 190 pages, you're going to spell some shit wrong. Um, (laughs) But those are not what edits or revisions are. So like you can have typos and still pass with no revisions. What edits and revisions are, are like, oh, we need you to say more about how you got these results. You know, like, so basically things that would affect the meat of your document. Those are revisions, not <laughs> not necessarily commas and typos. So I went in totally prepared to pass with minor revisions because I knew I had like commas and typo stuff. My friends helped me practice. They came, they, they like really came in as like a, a practice firing squad to like ask me questions. My homies, Pam and Tavishi and um, Enrique, they, they set up like this basically mock defense for me. And I did it twice in preparation for my actual defense. And then I like went through my opening remarks over and over again. I mean, my friend Christian must have had, must have heard it like seven, eight times before my actual defense. 
Um, I had my mama and my sister uh, there two and a half hours before the defense so I could run through it over and over, <laughs> over, and over again. I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's like I've been working on this in this program for five years and um, it was just like the culmination of all my work. And not only that, but like publicly showing everybody like this is what I've been doing for five years. This is why I couldn't come to that party. This is why I missed that event. This is why you haven't heard from me in three months. You know, it's because I've been trying to get done with this. I literally built and wrote up my own research study and proposed the first ever model for working with queer women of color couples in therapy. So yeah, I was nervous as fuck. (laughs) So many people showed up. First of all, I want to thank each and every one of you who are listening to this um, or who might not even be listening to this, but I've reached out to you individually for contributing to help bring my mom to my um, dissertation defense. Y'all, like, I just, it's it changed my life and it changed her life, you know? Like, the, I will never go through that moment again and she was there. I just think it means so lot, so much to me as a first-generation high school graduate, as a first-generation college student, as a first-generation PhD, which even sounds weird as fuck to me that there are people who have parents, parents with PhDs. It's even, even though I know, like, obviously, like, should I reproduce? Like, my kids are going to have a parent with a PhD. But it's just, it's just wild to me that that's, like, a norm in some families. You know, for generations, people have been graduating from college and higher education degrees. And that's that wasn't the case for my family, which is why education was so important for my mom. Um, to, she stressed it with us. And so for her to watch like me, become a, a a doctor in front of her like that. I know it, it was like life-changing, not only for me, but for her, because my mom don't cry. And for those of y'all who were on the live stream, she was boo-hoo-hooing, cry baby, water heading. So, <laughs> so I just want to thank y'all so much. And y'all contributed not only enough to bring my mom, but also for me to get a ticket for my sister. Like it was an overwhelming support. Um, that y'all came through for. And, um, you know, I'm very close to my sisters, if you can't tell from how I talk about them on the podcast. Uh, so, again, that moment, I can never, never uh, say enough about how much it meant to me that the two of them were there. But the community came through. Like, I printed 50 handouts for my defense, and I didn't. I don't have any more. Um, I think I have one, the like one that I printed wrong. (laughs) So like so many people showed up. And uh, if you were there or if you were on the live stream or if you thought about coming but couldn't make it, just thank you so much. Because like I posted this on my Instagram, but defenses are um, terrifying for all of the like academic work reasons But they're also terrifying because there's just this practice of locking away like knowledge from the communities that help you create it in the first place um, and making you defend it. Right. Um, And I just didn't feel like I had to do that because all of the people who got me to this point was there like gang gang. Like everybody showed up. There was food. I had so much cake. Y'all, it's two weeks later. I still have cake. 
in my freezer from my defense. Like, <laughs> so many people just, um, like, came through. And also, it was a transformative moment for my department, to be real, because even though, like, my advisor is um, one of the only people in marriage and family therapy who's, like, writing about intersectionality, who talks about social justice, it's still a really white field, you know? It's like, um, it's going to take... Um, the mental health field as a whole a long time to get away from its racist colonialist (laughs) roots you know so um it's still a really white field and the program is still really white but that day that day (laughs) it was very clearly not a white space um so like I think I think that speaks to like the transform the transformation that is possible when you have black therapists, when you have queer therapists, when you have therapists who give a damn about um, social justice movements, um, who show up in spaces outside of the like therapy room and believe that healing happens in other ways too, the, the place ain't white no more. And so I just really appreciate everybody for showing up and helping me do that. So I did, you know, I did my thing. I did my opening remarks. You know, my friends read some of the quotes from my... um from the liberationists that I interviewed for my dissertation study. And, you know, it was cool. I, 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 I was answering their questions. They was asking me questions. I was answering. And none of them took their full time to answer me questions. They each had, like, one question. And so I was like, okay, okay. I think this is going good. I think this is going good. And then they sent us all out. And as I'm in a hallway, everybody's hyping me up like, oh, you did that. You did that money. You got the money. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay, I'm still, I'm trying not to show it as much because it's over, but I'm like really nervous because I'm like, they didn't ask me no questions. Like, what does that mean? You know? And, um, but everybody was just like, oh, it was so good. And I'm so proud of you. And I was trying to hold it together because I was trying not to cry until the end. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't wear makeup often, you know, I'm good for a little lip color, but I had on like eye makeup and I was like, this is going to burn if I cry. So, (laughs) so let me try to save it for the end. So they deliberate to me, it felt like an hour. Um, but in reality, I think it was like seven minutes. It was not long. It was not long at all. (laughs) And they call, they call, um, everybody back in, everybody takes their seats. I go and I sit at the front and my advisor is the one who announces. Um, And so she stands up and she says, "Uh, you know, so after our deliberation, Montanique um, has passed, just passed. And I'm thinking in my head, pass? Like, that's it? Like, I just passed? And so, you know, there's like a tiny little clap that's starting. And somebody did the church like, that's all that's all right <laughs> um and I heard one of my other friends be like um just as you know so it was like a it was a tense moment when she said that um but it was a build-up to saying that I passed with distinction and when she said I passed with distinction I just folded like I couldn't believe it I think I still can't believe it as I'm telling it to y'all right now I passed my defense with honors If y'all can't hear it, I'm teasing hard as fuck right now. (laughs) Like all the work that I've done to come to that, to come to that moment and for it to be like seen and seen in a way of like, this is above and beyond 
<laughs> you know, in true Virgo fashion. Like, the minimum that you had to do to pass, you blew that shit out the water. And not only, not only for my dissertation itself, but for the way I did my defense. Like, they... A lot of the people on my core committee were like crying and they were like, we never seen and been part of a defense like this. And they were telling me that they felt like honored to be on my committee. Like, again, I'm t- I told you all the committee is like the the faculty who are challenging your work. So they were thanking me for like being on my committee. And that just felt like, whoo. But like everything I've been through at Syracuse to get this degree like I, I have just like fought and clawed for it. And so to pass with distinction felt like a recognition of that too. Like we've seen how hard you fought. We've seen, we, we see it and it should not have been this hard for you because your work is dope as fuck. So, um, yeah, I cried, (laughs) I cried. And then, you know, my mom and my sister ran and like hugged me. I'm pretty sure I probably would have fell over if they wouldn't have grabbed me because as, as they were, um, like saying that I passed with distinction and calling me doctor money for the first time, my advisor said that this is the first time in our program's history that someone has passed with distinction. And I really, if my mom and my sister weren't hugging me at that moment, I know I would have hit the floor because like, Black queer people are so often like like we get we get no acknowledgement for the things that we do, you know, like um, we have to celebrate and clap for each other on top of that, being a therapist and watching the ways that these systems are set up for us who are hurt the most by them to not get help from them. um, Like that's what. On the days where I feel most exhausted, that's what keeps me going. It's like, I have to do this because I know that my people need it now. Like, we need... I said, um, like, in my fin- my ending in my opening statements was therapists need the movement and the movement needs therapists. It's like, we need healing practices. Like, we've been shut out and locked away from our healing practices for so long. And now we're just on this wave of like getting them back. And so to know that like I made, gosh, to know that like I made black ass, queer, lesbian, healing history on March 6th at (laughs) 2.30. Like that just, like I'm still not, it's still... Like, the weight of that, I don't think, will even sink in for me until years down the line. That my, the program that I just graduated from is the oldest accredited marriage and family therapy program in the country. By my count, I'm only the fifth black person to graduate from it. And to know that my committee of, of, like folks passed me with distinction, like help helped me make black gay <laughs> healing history. Like I can't even wrap my mind right now around like I did that. I did that. After that, we played um, <laughs> Lakeley 47's Money. <laughs> 
and we also played, um, well, I should say Nikita changed the song to, uh, <laughs> to Fleetwood Mac's Dreams. So, um, <laughs> it was a good time right after, you know, I was officially, uh, after I was officially Dr. Money, um, everybody ate all the cake that was there. And everybody, yeah, just stuck around, congratulated me, took a bunch of pictures, had a bunch of hugs, um, you know, took an RG Lord inspired women are powerful and dangerous picture by the whiteboard. I just, yeah, it was just a really good feeling. And then that night, I just like chilled and relaxed. Um, the homie Robin had folks come over and held like a mixer with Dr. Money <laughs> at her place and yeah, it just felt good. Like it was it was the perfect end to because I was just, you know, so anxious working up to it that I didn't need a huge turn up after. I did need like just my people around and chilling and relaxing. The whole weekend I kicked it with my sibling. Um yeah, dropped my mom and my sister off at the airport and it just is it, yeah. It's like, "Wow, y'all. Y'all been with me on this uh journey. I'm I'm Dr. Dr. McEacher now, you know, like <laughs> PhD, uh, done, finished. What's next? Hire me. <laughs> yeah, y'all. Um, this is this is my first episode recorded as a PhD. Like I'm done. That chapter is finished. Damn, doctor, doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a whole doctor. Um, thanks to all of y'all who have been community for Queer Walk over this time, who even could, uh, encouraged me to keep the podcast going through this um, so that y'all can be a part of this with me. So I just, you know, I can't thank y'all enough. And yeah, I just wanted to tell y'all how my defense went and that I am Dr. Money Mac Eacher. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to move it on along into our final segment of the podcast, which is Curved Chronicles. Curved Chronicles is the segment where we talk about the dating woes and wins of our dating lives as Black queer women or your dating lives as Queer Walk and Queer Pop. If you have a dating question, a dating experience that you want to share with us, you can either DM it to us on like Instagram at QueerWalkPod or you can send it over to the email QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. And today's Curve Chronicle is actually a submitted chronicle from, hmm. And I'm just going to call you Pearl because um, Pearl Clegg has been on my mind heavy and I really want to reread what looks like crazy on an ordinary day because of what's been like happening in the world. Um... So yeah, if y'all have never heard of Pearl Clegg, check her out. She's a she's a dope ass like poet, writer, um, black feminist author. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna call you Pearl because because <laughs> that's what's been on my head lately. So Pearl writes, "Hello, Doctor Money and Nikita. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, Nikita's not here, so I hope this uh, advice helps a little bit." I'm really trying to do the whole dating apps thing, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Some background. I had one situationship that I desperately wanted to be a relationship in college. I graduated in May of 2019. It was so exciting, but in the end, it never became what I wanted. Now I'm just ready to move on. I think I make good profiles. I take good selfies and my bio is interesting. Ooh, 
That's the challenge. I match with cute girls all the time, but I have no idea what to do after that. I've talked to a few of them for a week or two, but it never goes anywhere. I don't understand how people make connections on dating apps. I'm the kind of person that likes to look people in the eye. I'm a good judge of character that way. I don't know how to do that through messaging. Am I overthinking it? I really want to meet new people. I would appreciate any wisdom y'all can share. Thanks so much for what you guys do. This show means a lot to me. From Pearl. Oh, thanks, Pearl. I'm glad um, the show means something to you <laughs> and that it means a lot. Okay, so I think that this is a common issue. And I think that is common because I'm a relational therapist and I see a lot of folks who are struggling with like dating. So yeah, this is such a good question about like how to take it from messaging on the apps to in person and how to make that happen. So first of all, can we just celebrate that you have a good profile, you're bomb at taking selfies, your bio is popping, and that you constantly getting matches with cute girls? Can we just celebrate that? Because um, from where I'm sitting and the reason why <laughs> my Curve Chronicles have been so uh, dry and lackluster is because that's just, I don't think I'm good at putting together a profile. And also, it's just not easy to match with folks in the area that I'm in, in central New York. Um, So, yes, let's celebrate that win, okay? That you're constantly getting matches and that your profile is popping. Well, you know, right now we're in this, like, social distancing moment. But the thing that I would suggest is move it as fast as possible from texting to, like, a video chatting situation or, like, meeting up for coffee. Um, Something that's, like, low stakes meeting up, you know? Not, like, a long... Like, oh, let's go to a movie where you're just going to sit in silence together for two hours, <laughs> you know, um, so that you can get to know them and it's face to face or at least it's um, where you can see see their eyes, look people in their eyes. I try to, the reason why I suggest that is because I think it's really easy to get into a comfort zone with just texting somebody. Try to move, I think it should go in steps, right? It should escalate. So first see if you have a vibe with them on the app and that the match wasn't just, I think you're cute. Um, Like, I think your bio is popping. But if you can actually hold a conversation with them on the app, I mean, you're talking to people for a few weeks. That's, again, can we celebrate the win? Because most folks, it don't move past, hey, how are you? (laughs) Or the Bumble-generated conversation starter and then they never respond, you know? So the fact that you can keep the messaging going that long speaks to me that like you're matching with people who you have a lot of um, commonalities with, overlap with, sparks, um, compatibility. So it should be fairly easy to move it to texting or on the phone or video. Um, Also, I mean, this is just completely unrelated, but I've been, I've seen too many seasons of Catfish to not move... (laughs) Not move it to video or some other kind of platform somehow um, as quickly as possible. Um, Yeah, so that's my first suggestion. Like, try to do, like, a video thing, especially right now with the social distancing. See if y'all can talk on if both of y'all have Apple products like FaceTime or, you know, WhatsApp video is just as good as FaceTime. And when possible, meet up for coffee, go for a walk. You know, I think being outside... 
um, is the best thing like right now because of everything that's happening. So like going for a walk, you can still practice, you know, like the the healthy things to make sure that folks aren't getting sick and that we're protecting other people who are vulnerable in the community. Um, yeah, those would be my suggestions. I don't know if you're doing that. Like, how are you teeing up the idea of meeting in person or video chatting? You can find, like, smooth ways to work that into the conversation. Like I said, especially if you've been able to keep a conversation going for, for multiple weeks. Um, yeah. I don't think you're overthinking it. Like I said, this is something that I see a lot, like, in my clinical work, but also hearing friends say that's like, oh, yeah, I match with people, but then we don't have a conversation. You are able to at least match with um, cute girls and have a conversation. So this to me, that's you've already done the hard part. The easy part to me is like connecting if y'all have been messaging and things feel cute, you know? Um, so just, you know, continue, continue those strengths. You have transferable skills <laughs> to meet up and to be able to look them in their eyes to see if this can go any further. Yeah, so that's that's all the wisdom I got. Um, I kind of suck on the apps, and I'm here solo today, but I am going to open it up to the community, if that's okay with you, Pearl. And I'm going to ask y'all, like, how do y'all move it from messaging to meeting? You can either, like, add us at Queer Walk Pod or put it in the hashtag. Like, if y'all have suggestions for how to move it from messaging to meeting, once you uh, finally get that connection on the apps are some apps better than others for like meetups are there platforms that are more conducive or that you've met up with more people from um because then that might be a thing too you know where to put like your your energy yeah so let me know let pearl know using hashtag queer walk i hope any of this helped at all pearl you know to just reframe the social distancing thing Um, the apps might be popping right now because everybody (laughs) is in the house. So, um, there might be more, I don't know. It would be interesting to see how this impacts, um, like dating. Uh, and then we might see a surge in Capricorn births this year or something, you know, (laughs) with, um, folks, uh, being inside more. So this might be a really good time to be getting these tips on how to, um, like take matching and talking on apps to like connecting in other ways. So yeah, let me know. Let Pearl know y'all. Well, um, I hope this episode brings you some community in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, and I'm sending y'all all the healing vibes that I can muster, um, and, Stay connected, y'all. Do the peas for the pandemic. This has been Money, the newly minted PhD, and I'm out. Deuces, y'all. <laughs>